Well, this is Current Yield, a Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am Jim Grant. With me, as always, is Eric Whitehead, our technician at the dials. And speaking to us from the borough of Brooklyn, New York City, is Evan Lorenz, the great deputy editor of Grant's. Phil Grant, who edits uh, our indispensable daily summary of all things financial, is almost daily Grant's, is uh, he's working, he says. That's, that's a good place to be working, but not with us, but uh, he is uh, hard at work on producing another issue of ADG. And uh, Evan, you're in the borough of Brooklyn. Are you about to be locked down by the mayor of the city of New York, or are you uh, all good? Not, not this week, but uh, ask me again next week. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a mayor named Bill de Blasio, and he is known in the pages of the New York Post as Blas, as in B-L-A-H with an S at the end. And I, I, don't, I think I think that's a kind of an appropriate uh, moniker for headline. Uh, but uh, Mayor de Blasio has just uh, threatened lockdown on certain non-compliant zip codes in New York City. And this is, I would say, this is only middlingly bullish news for Grant's interest rate observer. We're going to have our, our conference on October 20th in Manhattan. Uh, we are calling it Contrarian's Ball. And I had no idea, Evan, how contrarian we were going to be by having a live event in the city of New York under the mayoral supervision of Blas in the fall of 2020. I mean, is this beyond contrary? This is, this, this is seeping into quixotic. I got to admit that. Uh, but I, I said that zip codes reminded me of this contrarian's ball, and here is the reason. Because we are having it not at the plaza, which is our want, has been our want for more than 30 years. We're having it at the Javits Center, which is this immense cavernous uh, you know, conference uh, place on the uh, west side, West 34th Street. And uh, I'm thinking that, um, Eric, you've been there and recently checked it out, but I'm thinking that uh, you can be seated at one end of the Javits Center and not be in the same zip code as a fellow conference attendee. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's plenty of room to colonize. You can, you can bring your whole family in there and colonize one segment of the Javits Center and uh, never see, let alone make physical contact with others. So, uh, oh yes, I forgot to mention this, this uh, podcast is brought to you today by Contrarian's Ball. <laughs> I guess that would not to be self-evident if it went on much longer. But it's not only uh, this self-aggrandizing uh, advertorial that uh, brings us here today in your presence, listeners. It's our guest, who is John Haskell. He's an old friend of mine. No, no. He is a friend of mine of some long standing. John Haskell is not old. And, uh, I met him um, at the Harvard Business School uh, not so many years ago. I, I myself was not in attendance at the Harvard Business School. That was John Haskell. And he was, I think, uh, if not the president of the investment club, then at least in charge of, of summoning guests to speak to the investment club. And they got to the bottom of that list. And I found myself in. Um, at the Harvard Business School addressing uh, John Haskell's colleagues and uh, very honored to be there. So uh, but John graduated. Am I right, John? That's right. I graduated. Yeah. Okay. And went on to an uh, investment career that is uh, merely, just really this beginning. He spent five years as a lead analyst at Explorador, which is a, a, an equity fund that invests in uh, Latin America principally. And uh, so he had a is a, a deep grounding in emerging markets, and now um, is bringing forth his own fund. He's calling it ATLA, A-T-L-A, and uh, it is to specialize in uh, emerging markets uh, real estate, especially uh, real estate situated in urban centers. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a proposition, like the contrarian's ball, that is bleeding 
into the realm of the quixotic. I submit this to you. He's going to be long the following things or uh, investing in the context of the following things. COVID-19 shock, the lost decade, so-called the emerging markets, and perhaps the most contrary of all, he has got an idea that inflation is not dead and decomposing, but merely resting. So uh, John Haskell, well, that's somewhat verbose introduction. Welcome to Current Yield. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Evan. Thank you all for having me. Hey, John, how far back do the records, index records go showing that emerging markets uh, affirmatively and uh, historically outperforms developed markets? It's a complicated question because actually the, the overall Latin American index, for example, which was uh, one that I spent a lot of time focused on as my benchmark at Explorador, that one goes back to the 80s. Um, and the MSCI larger emerging market index um, you know, has a different start date, and there's also competing indices by different providers. So there's no easy answer, but, but you but, can get a few decades. But it's, but, so it's 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 a, it's a track record, right? It's an it's observed tendency over uh, several decades, rather than an iron law. Absolutely, yeah. and whether the past is any indicator of the future is um, up for um, you know constant reevaluation. Right. I would say. So, John, this, this, but um, your fund is, is uh, of course, a partnership. It's for uh, so-called qualified investors, but you'll be dealing in public equities, no? So this is this opportunity is available to everyone, especially, of course, those who avail themselves of the new Atla Fund, which is debuting perhaps in December. But the components of your fund are in the public equities domain, no? That's right. There's been a change in capital markets in the last few decades. What has really matured are, uh, is the space for publicly traded real yeah. estate. Those are yeah. REITs, real estate investment trusts, but also regular C-Corps that happen to you know, own and operate um, assets with recurring income. And those property stocks, that universe, was small and esoteric. Um, but with REIT legislation passing in countries overseas and uh, just with the expansion of public equity markets, it's now become relevant. It's a right. so, market of size. So, John, one of the the, the trends you mean to uh, hitch on to is urbanization. And of course, you know, this uh, podcast is coming to you from the city of New York, Mayor William D. Uh, Blasio, uh, Mayor. And um, uh, New York City seems to be in a uh, bit of a pickle, uh, what with no one coming to work in these fine office buildings and uh, a real estate investment trust called SL Green, having been Evan was sawed in half, I think, in price uh, since the start of the Yeah, relative to its estimated net asset value, it's trading about yeah. half that value. So, um, which raised the question, John. So, uh, once, you know, when you can have uh, SL Green here in the United States with the rule of law or what remains of it, uh, why venture abroad? Right. I, well, first of all, as, as we've discussed in the past, everything is a function, risk is a function of price. And in the basket of legacy cities, New York, London, Paris, San Francisco, Tokyo, the two-bedroom apartment you can buy in the city center per square foot is about 1500 bucks. The equivalent apartment per square foot in a basket of cities abroad that are emerging, so cities like you know Dubai, Ho Chi Minh City, Jakarta, Johannesburg, Sao Paulo, a basket there is under $300 per square foot. Your rental cost per uh, square foot of, uh, you know, prime central business district uh, office space, you're paying a little less than $200 per square foot per year in this prime legacy city basket. And you're spending about $50 per year in this other basket. Um, so on a fundamental basis, real estate in emerging 
cities where uh, populations are growing at a double-digit percentage increase each decade, prices for real estate in those cities is, is far less so, demanding, three to six times. So, John, you, implicit in your thesis is the, uh, is the, uh, the ancient epigram, uh, this too will pass, you know, with respect to, say, COVID and, um, and pandemic. That's right. COVID, COVID is, the, is the current entry, but there's really also a long-term secular tailwind. And I don't want to focus too much on the entry point when this is meant to be uh, a portfolio uh -huh. for the long haul. And, and I think what's exciting here is that this universe of publicly traded emerging market stocks, which very few people focus on, spans nearly 40 countries and accounts for about three-fourths of human population. And when you look at human population, the growth over the next few decades is entirely urban. In fact, the world's rural population is expected to plateau in 2021, 2022. And so all incremental growth of the human population is through a function of internal migration and, and just sheer population growth is urban. And if you look at where that urban growth is occurring, the increment is almost entirely uh, emerging market urban. So the basket of cities or the places that we're, we're debating is the city dead, New York, for example, or London, um, there can be a debate about it. And in the long run, I would argue strongly for New York. Um, but it's a city that also is facing a budgetary crisis. It has rich valuations. There's uh, wealth levels per capita that allow people to contemplate moving to suburbs. So, um, right. Uh, so Ho Chi Minh City is cheaper than New York City. But if you go for the cheap place, you find that you're in Ho Chi Minh City. I mean, there's a spread that's kind of logical and, and warranted, no? No, there, there should be a spread. The question is, is the spread uh, correctly priced or is it too wide? And um, what I would say is for the largest investors in the world, they're already comfortable with having a portfolio of buildings around the world because that portfolio diversification provides um, you know, some resilience. Um, if you're the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, then you're invested in Berlin office towers. If you're GIC out of Singapore, you own a portfolio, including the Time Warner Center in New York, residential tower complexes in China. Uh, so the largest investors understand that real estate um, is risky and there's diversification benefits to a portfolio. Uh, but for individual investors, small investors, how would one access this in the past, right? You can't go and buy right. uh, individual John, how about, how about, buildings. John, how about giving us a couple, tower. for instance, give us an example or two or three of a publicly traded, uh, not too thinly traded, but publicly traded equity that uh, has exposure to the things that you're talking about. And uh, give us, uh, you know, give us examples. Sure. This is my territory now, bottom up. Um, so we've discussed in the past, Duverdanos in Mexico. I think Mexico is very interesting right now, um, has a few really quite compelling opportunities. But let's, let's go somewhere different. Let's go to Indonesia. So Indonesia, fourth popular country, 270 million people, GDP per capita about 4,000. Uh, the currency is inexpensive on a PPV basis. It's got a triple B credit rating. It's like Mexico in that regard. Um, there's a company there called Pakuan Jati. It's a real estate developer and owner of malls. Can you spell that, towers, John? Uh, John can you spell it? Sure. Pakuan, P-A-K-U-W-O-N space J-A-T-I. The ticker is P-W-O-N. And it trades on the Indonesian. Wait, give, uh, spell out the uh, the acronym uh, more slowly so people can write it down if they want to. Sure. Uh, 
um, the, well, Pakuan Jati, and the ticker is P W O. P W O N. Okay, P one. All right. And it trades on P one. Yeah. So Pakuan Jati, it's a one point one billion dollar market cap company. It's down fifty percent year to date. It was cheap at the beginning of the year. It's down by fifty percent. Uh, it had a thirty six percent decline in recurring revenue because of COVID. This is a company that owns, again, malls in downtown Jakarta and Surabaya, which is the second largest city in Indonesia, fast-growing industrial city uh, with good urban planning relative to Jakarta. Uh, the company manages these core downtown malls, uh, the, you know, the, the Pakawan Mall, the biggest in Surabaya, for example. They also have office towers with very blue-chip companies in them, AIA, you know, the LG headquarters, Bank of Tokyo in Indonesia, HP. Uh, and then they also have a portfolio of hotels, the Sheraton Grand in Jakarta, the Sheraton Surabaya, pretty soon a Westin. So this is a company that for years has developed buildings, uh, owns and operates them and harvests recurring yields. They also have land banks and they develop that bank into uh, residential projects. Right now they have 450 hectares of land, which is about 1,100 acres, which means it's like 1.3 times the size of Central Park, just in raw okay, well, how, land. How's, how's, this thing, how's this thing valued, John? If you just take the mature existing recurring revenue portfolio, that is 8.4 million square feet of uh, malls and office towers. And so you're talking on an enterprise value per square foot of 158 or 160 bucks. Um, and there's also a portfolio of hotel rooms that's not even factored there, and there's a land bank. Um, and all of its development potential. Take a yield basis. So on 2019 numbers, and this is, of course, when there was travel and there was not social distancing, and so things are quite different. But take 2019 as a snapshot of a normalized year. On 2019 numbers, it has a 10.7 cap rate right now. Um, and so what that means is you're buying existing assets at a discount. I would say having a double-digit cap rate is appealing, uh, you know, double-digit free cash flow yield is appealing, um, and yet you're paying nothing for 1.3 Central Park in sort of uh, an assemblage of land, primarily in Jakarta and Surabaya, where there's land scarcity to an increasing extent. Um, but, John, yeah, this is also, just to quickly note, sorry, Evan, is that it's practically unlevered. <laughs> the net debt to equity here is 2%, maybe net cash this year. So there's, there's no leverage, which means even if I am wrong about when a mall will return, or even if some of their assets are obsolete, which I don't think is the case, uh, then the underlying impairment or potential for underlying impairment to equity is low because of how unlevered it is. Okay. Uh, John, when you invest in REITs overseas, you're not investing directly in real estate. You're investing in a management team who invests in real estate for you. Uh, how would you rate management teams over there? And I'm not trying to say that emerging market management teams are any worse or better than the U.S. The Wall Street Journal last, art uh, last week had an article saying that Shale CEOs had some of the fastest pay rises over the last five years, despite generating some of the worst absolute returns in the S&P 500. Hmm. Interesting. I, mean, I would say like other asset classes, it's a good point. The issue here is uh, who are the operators and what is their competency and what is their alignment. Um, and really, competency and alignment um, explains a lot of good and bad behavior out there. I, I felt that in Latin America or saw that in Latin America. Uh, so real estate in this case, is, like you said, buying into a portfolio um, managed by management teams on the ground. Part of why one can build a portfolio across different countries is you have these management teams that are well-established, that have listed them, 
their uh, portfolios and have you know audited financial track records over time, and, and you can um, get a sense of folks for their reputation as well as their uh, their history. In many many markets, the key here is to understand where there's a, a misalignment of interest, where uh, controlling shareholders um, either through you know one way or another, different share classes or related party transactions uh, are not in the service of all shareholders minority. Uh, so I, t- I, t- I take it. Uh, with, so I take it, John, with respect to, uh, to P1, you are satisfied uh, that these uh, uh, people are upstanding and properly aligned and uh, competent. Yes, I think Pakwanjati is an example of a of the best in class operator. I mean, this is a business that came out of uh, you know a you know a, a family franchise out of Surabaya. The the wealthy family that is bought into the business uh, is named uh, Teja T E D J A. Okay. Speaking of giants, John, speaking speaking of giants, I would like to remind the uh, listeners to Current Yield uh, about the fabulous lineup of gigantic speakers we have for the uh, October 20th event at the Javits Center. You say giants? Yeah. Who do we have? have? Well, we have Mervyn King, the former governor of the Bank of England. We have uh, Jim Chanos, the great short seller. We have Bruce Flatt, who was uh, a real estate man of no small distinction. And we have uh, Stephanie Kelton, who is going to sing the praises of modern monetary theory. Um, we have uh, Dylan Grice, who is an investment strategist par excellence. We have Mar- Monica Erickson speaking about uh, corporate credit, investment-grade corporate credit. And Cy Jacobs uh, concerning investment opportunities in and around financial stocks. And uh, Joe Lawler. Uh, a taxonomy of COVID shorts is Joe Lawler's topic. And last but certainly not least is the great indeed gigantic John Paulson speaking to the topic gold coming to a theater near you. Now, I put it to you, John Haskell, is this not value? I mean, come on. This is uh, this is a, uh, a fabulous lineup. So please, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think Eric Whitehead, even now, is sitting around waiting for your telephone call to sign up for this event. You go online, just uh, look us up in the yellow pages, Grand Census Rate Observer. Sign on to our fabulous website. And... Um, I guess that will conclude this sponsored message. John, you were talking about, if I remember, before you were talking about opportunities in the the urbanized real estate segment of emerging markets, and you gave us this uh, this one very fetching opportunity in Indonesia, P1. How about uh, how about one more? Just the highlights of another stock that might be representative of the kind of opportunities that uh, you were availing yourself of. I, I would bring it back to Mexico because I think there we could, for example, talk about Fidadano, which reminds me so much of Pakuanjati in Indonesia in, in a few key respects, right? It's the recurring income, low debt, and owning assets that are uh, that have scarcity, right? Trophy assets in very downtown land that is irreplaceable, where the long-term upside from owning that um, is, is really quite compelling. So this company, Danos, D-A-N-H-O-S, Fibra Danos, Fibra is the Mexican term for REIT, this one is a REIT, um, and the ticker is Danos, D-A-N-H-O-S 13, which is Mexico's convention of putting the year of the IPO at the end of a REIT uh, that's locally listed. So Danos 13, um, the Mexican Stock Exchange. Um, and, and we've discussed this one before. It's a, a business that is you know, down by over a third this year in dollars, $1.4 billion market cap. They have 9.6 million square feet of GLA. Pakwanjati, if you recall, they were about eight and a half. And 
if you go to Mexico City and you get into a taxi or an Uber and you say, I'm going to the Dorito Tower, everybody knows what you're talking about. The Dorito Tower is an upside-down triangle that looks like a Dorito <laughs> ship. Uh, can, you have ground, can you have just ground. one? Um, <laughs> well, there's only one of the Dorito Tower, and that's the point. Um, it's in Polanco, which is a very classy downtown part of Mexico City. It's such scarce and valuable land that they have parking that I think goes down 14 stories, which makes it one of the deepest parking lots in the world. Uh, and obviously, building, excavating that is expensive. So it just shows how prime that tower is, how prime that land is. It, it reminds me maybe of the GM building or something in New York City. Um, and I want to ask you about how um, a manager goes about managing such a far-flung portfolio of, uh, of stock. So, um, I mean, do you uh, live out of a suitcase or do you plan to once you get going on this thing? You're going to go to spend a week at the uh, Sheraton in uh, Jakarta and then hustle on back to Mexico City to avail yourself of the opportunities of parking at the 14th level beneath the surface of the earth? What, how, do you, how do you physically supervise a portfolio that spans the globe? Well, the, the short answer is yes. I live um, a bit out of the suitcase because there's real value to going to these places and going regularly to these places, not as a, as a one-time tourist, but as a recurring uh, visitor, meeting with management companies, meeting with the local brokers. That is, that is the work on an ongoing basis. You know, COVID and work from home uh, and will there ever be an office again, that whole debate uh, actually worked really to my advantage because for those companies where you already have an existing relationship, Jumping on a Zoom can be very effective. An hour-long meeting of informational exchange once a quarter you know, has been easy to do over Zoom. That doesn't replace being there in person, but it's a nice supplement. And, and maybe in the future, one outcome of all this is I, I get to get on fewer airplanes. Um, but it, it seems doable uh, just given, frankly, the quality of the management teams that I can identify uh, in these different markets. And so joining them for a day once a quarter or every six months is a very effective use of time. Oh, all right. Well, John Haskell, this is, uh, has been very interesting, illuminating, and indeed exciting. Exciting because it's, uh, I, think I always feel a vicarious thrill talking with an entrepreneur on the verge of uh, creation of his or her vision. And uh, goodness knows you have been, you. I'm sure you've been thinking about this for years and years, and now it's upon you and you're, uh, I always, I've found the difference between uh, being an employee, even a senior employee someplace and, and owning the joint is a uh, difference between sleeping at night and, and not sleeping at night. No, that's okay. That's only one aspect of it. <laughs> but uh, it, it already feels different and I'm super glad to be embarking on something very entrepreneurial. And you're right, this is like the time when there's blood in the streets moment. A lot of the world has recovered from COVID in terms of market valuation. The tech sector is roaring. Uh, but I have to say, in my, in my small corner of markets, uh, the window is still super compelling um, and has not, the dislocation has not yeah. corrected itself. Well, break a leg. No, I'm going to go further. I'm going to go further. Break two legs. And uh, in the... Yeah, in the day and age of Zoom, I don't think that would be debilitating. Just, <laughs> you could just yeah, and just right. uh, stay in front of your tube. So um, uh, on behalf of uh, the great Evan Lorenz of you know, Brooklyn, New York, and and, uh, and Eric Whitehead of Smithtown, Long Island, New York, and, and me, Jim Grant, the editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, of uh, also of, well, a little bit now of Schoharie, New York, 
Uh, thank you for listening. And, and John Haskell, it has been a delight. I, it seemed like only yesterday when you were at the Harvard Business School and I was, uh, uh, I was, uh, yeah, like what fun. Yeah. Anyway, you go get them. This is a, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity. And, uh, you know, don't be a stranger. Check in from time to time and tell us how much you're up. Sounds good. I appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you so much for having Talk me. Talk soon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being with us on Current Yield Grants Interest Rate Observer of the Air.